Look, frankly, I'm going to be completely honest. I've seen most Marvel movies. I will not watch any of the Iron Man ones. I haven't seen Iron Man 1, 2, or 3. I just don't feel the need. So I don't know. We are live with another episode of the Keeg Talks. Uh, today, uh, we are celebrating Women's History Month, uh, which is March, which also is the month that my sister and my grandmother was born. So I think that's how they named the month. Uh, I'm your host, Demetra Pereira. I will be talking way less in this episode than what's in this intro, but I have four awesome guests on this show to talk about women in fiction that's what the keeg is talking the keeg talks women in fiction um there are a lot of uh uh guests on this show and a lot of characters that we can talk about um but first let me introduce my awesome guests but let me make sure that their names match uh <laughs> what's on the screen because i do not have it correct but first uh discount bo katan herself we got hannah peterson hannah how you doing today I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, other than just, you know, just uh, a wild day as normal. Mm-hmm. No, I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad to have you on because it's been a, been a long time. It's been a hot minute. Yeah. But I'm, I'm happy to be back. Yeah. Uh, next up, we got Sarah B. Movies and Tea. Is it supposed to rhyme? I don't know. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing good. Is it supposed to rhyme? Was I just... Um, I mean, you just pointed that out, so I think we should go with it. It is supposed I mean, to rhyme. Yeah, uh, you put that on your commercials. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, next up, we have Lexi Reed, who is uh, not a first-timer to the Keeg show in general, because we did do an interview, but new to the Keeg Talks, right, Lexi? Yes, this is the first Keeg Talk I've been on, and I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, of course. And last but not least, we got it's Cindy Che. Cindy, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? Doing good. Um, all four of you are uh, amazing in your own right. And I'm very interested in hearing about your experiences with the topic at hand, which is women in fiction, female characters, good, bad, uh, everything in between, uh, characters that you grew up with, characters uh, uh, that you wish you grew up with that's also a thing uh don't we all wish that we had the characters now that you know back then um what kind of characters did you grow up with um i don't know uh if anyone wants to go first but i'm very interested in that when i think back to like my first experiences with women in fiction I mean, we have to shout out Disney, right? So like the first thing that comes to mind is Kim Possible. Like that's what I grew up on as a late nineties baby. It was Kim Possible, it was Cartoon Network, the Powerpuff Girls, and those animated girls, th there was just something in the air that was like, we're, we're dealing with powerful, popular, fun, vibrant 
female characters. Uh, and I just feel so lucky to have started with those. I don't know if, if you guys were on the Kim Possible Powerpuff Girls train too. I think at some point I was, but I didn't start out with that. I definitely started out with the Disney princesses um, was like the first thing that I was introduced to like Mulan, Cinderella's like beauty, Snow White. Um, I really resonated with like Mulan. And then uh, eventually when Merida came out with brave, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Um, but yeah, those were definitely the starting points for like females in fiction and in animated. Yeah, I think the first like Disney princess that I got real into was Snow White, um, which my parents historically, like they've told me they were okay with that, but they did try to like, they actively tried not to get me into Disney princesses because they were like kind of trying to raise me like feminist gender neutral a little, I mean, not gender neutral, but you know, like gender neutral uh, entertainment. Um, don't steer her into the Cinderella. Um, but they were chill with Snow White because she was like, I guess, less of a I don't I, I think that Snow White's story is kind of like the worst for feminism so I, I'm curious as to why they were they they were bummed out when I got into Sleeping Beauty and stuff they were like ah she's going all the way she's going into the Disney princesses um but that was definitely like a starting point for me just like for I feel like most other girls um because that's like most of the entertainment that's directed toward us uh but I you know I, I was like a kind of a little tomboy before that point like I was very into dinosaurs that was my whole like thing um so then I guess you know start as I started to get into like characters it was the Disney princesses and that that came back like around for me pretty big time in middle school for some reason I just got really into Frozen like I just felt very seen by Anna and that that was like a whole arc for me I have to jump in on the Disney conversation because when I was thinking about the characters I grew up with, the first person I thought of was Cinderella. I was Cinderella three times for Halloween as a child. And I have, I still have a, a Cinderella doll on one of my bureaus right now. I'm looking at her right now. Um, I loved that girl growing up. And, um, you know, even jumping in on Frozen, I was obsessed with Frozen too. Like I, um, I believe like I attached myself to Elsa for a bit. So yeah, just absolutely loved them and I think like it's true like the Disney princess movies were definitely geared towards us so it was just like that's kind of what I fixated on and everything like I loved watching those movies on repeat growing up so yeah definitely those princesses are iconic for me mm -hmm. you all mentioned Disney princesses but then also Kim Possible who is also a Disney character uh is that normal for kids in general or is that normal for uh, 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 female characters and like are they the most representational when it comes to female characters than like other franchises when you're a kid I or is it just my... a Disney thing yeah I think that Disney has like a, a lot out there for little girls um I my perception of like Cartoon Network and Nick were number one that they were for older kids than me um and number two that like they were it was like a like a less feminine skew to it. Like they they had a lot of shows like um like Johnny Test and like regular show that were coming out when I was a kid. And I was like, you know, they, they just like weren't marketed at me in the way that like Hannah Montana was. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if we're talking in terms of like growing up, growing up like younger, um, when I thought of like Nick, I started watching Nick during like the Victorious, iCarly, that era. 
Um, but like, yeah, growing up, it was definitely all Disney, Disney animated that was geared towards specifically, you know, us like being like seven or six, you know, uh, those female princesses or like female characters. Is there a difference between animated female characters growing up versus like Hannah mentioned Hannah Montana, um, you know, all the live action. Uh, I'm trying to think of like what was around back then, but like, is there a difference between these animated characters that you grew up with versus the live action ones? My opinion, totally. I feel like all of the live action that I grew up was very, it wasn't realistic, but it was rooted in our world. It was rooted in how do you survive middle school as like an awkward preteen. Uh, whereas the Disney princesses is like, here is an elegant, strong, smart, generous woman that you kind of want to grow up to be. And the live is like, here's somebody that you can relate to right now that's like really uncomfortable and tries to keep all their secrets close to their heart and has the weird awkward crush. Uh, just just more like feeling seen versus feeling like having a role model is kind of how I perceived the two. Something else I think about as well is just the age that I developed, like that not the age I developed, but the age I when I was consuming the content. So for the Disney princesses, I was around like three to six. But when I think of shows like Hannah Montana, Victorious, I was in my middle school era. So yeah, I agree. I think that I I don't know if this was if I'm misremembering this, but I think there was like kind of it, it was a big thing that Disney Channel started like doing these live action shows that were marketed towards like young kids specifically um, that were not just like animated shows. Cause you know, I, I know that kind of like the paradigm for a long time was animated for little kids, not animation for adults, live action once you get to like middle school and such. Um, but you know, I mean like Zach and Cody is like the, the characters are in elementary school. Why would it not be for elementary school? You know, like it's, um, I, I don't know if I'm remembering this wrong, but I think that there was like sort of a shift in the industry once G Disney Channel came out and started like putting out things like like the even Stevens, you know, that that's like marketed towards children, but it's like a live action sitcom. Out of the characters and the shows that you grew up with, um, did you feel attachment to characters that you identified with or characters that you wanted to be i feel like those are two different things right it's just like if i saw a redhead i was like that's me that's who i am i'm kim possible um so that that was a big thing for me and there's like an abundance an overabundance one might say of like animated redhead characters um, and there's Dan Povenmire one time was in my TikTok live very briefly. And I said something like, oh, like I loved Candace. I related to her probably because she was just a redhead. And he, he was like, there's a reason for that. Um, it was because in the 60s and like 70s, people's TVs often um, yellow would come through as kind of greenish. So they stopped animating blondes in like the Jetsons and like Scooby-Doo and stuff. Um, and they started doing them as like strawberry blonde redheads so that it would show up like more blonde red and not like a yellow hair that looks green on somebody's TV. 
um, which was super interesting to me. But anyway, because of that little like technical thing, there's so many redheads um, in animation that I just like was latching onto left and right and collecting like infinity stones as a kid. <laughs> that is such an interesting fun fact. I really like that actually knowing that. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool that it came directly from Dan Pavenmeyer too. I was like, <laughs> this is like weird that this is happening right now, but. It's also yeah. definitely a humble brag, uh, Hannah. Yeah, Dan Poppenmeyer was just hang, hanging out in your life. Hanging out. I, like the For You page is just a crazy place. You never know who's, you know, it shows that celebrities just end up on random people's lives. <laughs> that's what that's about. Were there any, uh, let's just say, uh, female-centric shows growing up that you guys didn't vibe with? Ones that I don't know, maybe maybe your friends liked that you didn't like. Something this that you just show, but I because it was the thing, because it was in vogue, I knew nothing about Twilight, but I was like, Yeah, I'll hate on Twilight. Like, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of that. <laughs> I, I was going to bring up Twilight. I was gonna mention Twilight. I wasn't as into Twilight as many of my friends were back then. And even with the whole like fight between like team Edward team Jacob I was never into that either I was I was always just making jokes like oh I'm team so-and-so instead like I would name somebody else completely I was on the whole I don't even know if this counts as like growing up but like on the whole Hunger Games train like that was my team like I would not even touch the Twilight thing I was like no I am not watching this I don't care I'm not team Edward I'm not team whomever I am team PETA Let's go Hunger Games. I was also Team PETA. (laughs) I definitely had a phase with both. Like they came out far enough between for me that it was like sixth grade was my Twilight phase. And I had the whole birthday party and everything. And then Mm -hmm. seventh grade, I read the Hunger Games and began the new thing. Um, But I, I really struggled to think of like a female centric show that I didn't like. I mean, there were characters like there was always the mean girl but there was a reason she was the mean girl. Uh, I'm, I'm really trying to think. There are well, some think... more modern ones that that kind of test the boundary and, and the main characters make a lot of mistakes that are maybe less relatable and more annoying. Uh, but I, I can't even think of one off the top of my head right now. I think that like, you know, I don't know, because I, I, I was the one who brought up Twilight, so maybe this is on me, but like, I almost wouldn't consider that to be female-centric media, because Bella is not the important part of that story, and she's not the part that anyone talks about at all, and maybe that's why, like, you know, younger girls maybe didn't have anything to connect with, because they weren't at the point where, like, their hormones were allowing them to be super invested in the love triangle potentially um and you know maybe there were so many nine-year-olds that were like boo haha let's make fun of twilight because it's like bella's a little bit of a nothing character she's a little bit of a blank slate 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 um she's a little bit of a blank slate and um you know that's uh i think that's what makes twilight work because she's a great self-insert and she's so easy to like layer yourself over um but at the same time it it makes her like you know maybe difficult to resonate with if if you're not like in a point in your life where you're looking to insert yourself into like 
a supernatural romance. Um, so it's it's really like interesting that and you know it, it seems like the consensus here is that Hunger Games was a little bit more of like something that a lot of us were invested in. I know I was um, for sure. And I think, you know, a, a large part of that is because the love story was not like necessarily the focus. It was a lot about like Katniss herself. Um, so she was kind of like more of an, a, a present character that you could either like relate to or not relate to. Um, and the world building was just like so colorful too. So like there were more things I think to, to grab onto for that. Yeah, I think it's interesting how you like mentioned at the beginning that there wasn't like as many female centric shows and like technically Twilight wasn't a female centric like project. Um, I think like, again, like growing up, it was Victoria's iCarly, like Kim Possible, like that kind of stuff. And I think from, you know, like if I were to go back and rewatch it, I'd probably say, oh, this was like a problem. This was a problem. This shouldn't have been said. But like watching it, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like Carly is the main character. Carly is like running this whole like blog thing. I could be a blogger. I don't know. Like there were so many things that were really exciting and relatable about the female centric shows. But I know that like if I were to go back, I'd probably be like, wow, that's problematic. Because like going back and rewatching like a show that's evenly split like Friends, you see all like the misogyny that was embedded in the show. And it's like, okay hold up, back up, was there actually a female show that was, like, unproblematic when we were growing up in, like, the 2000s? I have to agree with you, Sarah. Um, I was thinking about shows like Victorious and iCarly. Um, when I was in middle school, one of the characters I attached myself to was um, Kat Valentine, and I used to dress like her, and I used to act like her. I used to dumb myself down um, because I thought she was cool. And I think back to that, I'm just like, that was probably not a smart move on my end, you know? She was she was made to be dumbed down. And as the seasons went on in Victorious, she got dumber and dumber. And I was always, I always was just like, why did they do that to her character? It felt like they kind of ruined her character doing that because like she started as like, she, you know, she started as ditzy and then went to completely stupid. And I was like, that's, that's probably not the best way to write a character, you know, um, that, or at least to me, that's not, a, that's not a way I would want to write a character. Yeah, yeah. I, I when you mentioned like Ditsy, um, that also happened to Phoebe in Friends. Like she started out mm. actually pretty smart, and then like as the seasons went on, she became more and more, uh, like it's not like flaky, but like very you know out of it, kind of just like floating around. Um, yeah, that yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I think there are a lot of like characters that get flanderized pretty bad. Um. Especially in, you know, I, I would say in um, Victorious is definitely like one of the most egregious examples I've ever seen. Um, I know that, you know, it, it, like uh, uh, Kevin in The Office like starts as one thing and then he ends up something completely different. Um, uh, they, they just like most TV shows do that. But yeah, I think like the prime example of that happening to a character is definitely Kat. And it's like, it kind of makes me go, hmm, because, like, yes, it is something that happens a lot, but at the same time, for it to be, like, this woman's getting progressively stupider and more, like, ooh, sexy baby, um, as the season go seasons go on, and, like, knowing what we know about Dan Schneider, it feels a little bit more insidious than, like, how, you know, characters getting more and more extreme usually does, and it's sad that it was in children's media, and 
you know, it, it was like a character that girls were relating to and, and they just kind of weren't thinking about that, I guess, and projecting like a little bit of a fantasy onto Kat um, as they were making her, which I, I don't know if that, that was everyone's experience that it felt like very male fantasy for watching Kat as, as an adult, but like, it definitely feels that way to me when I watch certain episodes. Um, although the whole show kind of does a little bit just within the context of its creator, but it's just very disappointing. Um, you guys mentioned Friends earlier, and Friends, you know, it, six main stars, three uh, uh, three men, three women. Uh, you would think it'd be a pretty easy 50-50 split of, of storylines, of development, so on and so forth. Um, are, are, are we all familiar with Friends? I'm not. No? no? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um Here's a broader question. I think when it comes to Friends, uh, Friends is a good example of it. Do characters like Phoebe get dumbed down and taken away from the spotlight because there's only room for one strong female character or desirable female character, let's just say, in an ensemble piece? I think it's interesting because I don't think there was one like I guess Rachel would have been the desirable female character if like we're like you know very stereotyping Rachel um but I feel like each of the women in the show were given a storyline that was very stereotypically female like if I'm like trying to phrase this phrase this correctly like if a guy were to say oh my gosh that's like so like female of her so like Monica was like the mom of the group then we have Rachel who's like the runaway bride always needs to be helped then we have female uh Phoebe who is like the ditzy woman so it's always like you have these stereotyped characters obviously on the opposite side we have like Joey who's kind of like like an opposite to Phoebe but we have also Chandler and Ross who are very strong male characters and like embody their roles as men and like they have good jobs and they're pretty smart in their roles and they don't really embody a stereotype within or at least that I saw within masculine culture so I thought it was interesting that all three women had that uh stereotype yeah um I don't know if anyone grew up with the original Power Rangers or anything but speaking from personal experience there were two female rangers there's a pink ranger and a yellow ranger and uh, all the all the boys on the schoolyard would talk about their crush on uh, uh, Kimberly, the Pink Ranger, and not Trini, the Yellow Ranger. Uh, that can be rooted in many, many, many things, but I feel like the show really focused on who does the audience desire? One person. Not two. There's not room for two. It's just one. Does... Am I am I reaching? Is that a thing? I don't I mean, know if you're reaching. Oh no, go. <laughs> I was gonna bring it. I don't. I didn't watch the Power Rangers, but I feel like this kind of happened in Scooby Doo too. And now, now people are loving Velma for some reason. There's like a big Velma re- Renaissance, which I'm living for. But like when Scooby Doo was on when I was a kid, Daphne was the one that girls wanted to be and the one that guys wanted to be with, as as far as like the the 90s and early 2000s go. And there's like the smart one. I feel like 
often if you look at before the 2000s you can unless it's like a disney princess you can kind of generalize a woman down to a female character down to just a few adjectives it's like is she smart is she pretty is she the damsel in distress does she like fashion and that's what people thought that all there was to them i think so that's scooby-doo is what i thought of right away when you mentioned the power rangers and having the one desirable one and the other one who i'm assuming is also a wonderful functioning character but doesn't get the same attention from the studio and from the audience yeah i mean to me when i hear that like you know there will be two girls and one of them is the one that everyone loves and one of them is the not desirable one or like there's two very specific types i always think back to shakespeare um and just like how there's always like two women per play and it's like a total madonna horror complex at the time where one of them is like the bitch and one of them is like virgin pure and true and it is you know i i, I just see that thread through like so much modern media i this is like something that i just I guess I'm, I'm very like keen to notice because I wrote a paper on this in high school. Um, but it's like, it's like the one school project that just has consistently stuck with me where I was like, yeah, I think I, yeah, I think I see this everywhere. Um, where there will be, you know, unlimited and an unlimited an unlimited number of male characters. And then like, there's a, there's a cap on how many girls can be there. And they either serve a function as like being brainy or being eye candy. And we don't cross those wires a lot of the time. And, you know, I mean, now more and more, there are movies that shockingly actually pass the Bechdel's test. Um, but, you know, like it's it's kind of rooted way, way back into like the media that we consume back into like the, the 15 and 1600s that this has been the way that it is a little bit. So... I, I like it, it just feels very like yeah great that's kind of how it's going to be and that's maybe a defeatist mentality um and you know I, I don't think it's helpful because there is a lot of media coming out that's not like that but it just explains a lot about like, older shows to me you brought up uh, uh the Bechdel test and I'm not sure how many people here uh, no versus uh, anyone out there listening or or watching. By the way, if anyone's watching, it's twitch.tv slash the Keeg show, or you're listening to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Um, anyone have a good grasp on the Bechdel test and can explain it um, for anyone out there who needs explaining? Yeah, I mean, the idea of the Bechdel test, it's not really like a, people take it very seriously. It actually comes from like a cartoon strip um, Alison Bechtel, who's like a famous uh, lesbian comic writer, um, had this strip in like maybe college even, but like early in her career uh, called Dykes to Watch Out For, where she was talking about like, you know, just conversations she would have with her friends and them putting those into comic form. Um, and there was just one issue, one strip that was like, oh, haha here's my test I only watch movies if there's two girls and they have a conversation and they both have names and it's not about a boy and the joke is like there are no movies like that somehow um and it became into like this tool for media criticism and uh, you know it's 
it's really like surprising the way that it's evolved based on, you know, how it was just like a silly joke. Um, but I think the reason for that is that it's shocking how many movies do not pass. Um, but, you know, people kind of take it like very seriously, um, whether that's on like they seriously hate it or they seriously swear by it. Um, and it just, you know, like it, it, its origins are so not like in line with that. So it's it's kind of like a one of those funny things. As we look at media from the past, um, a lot of them don't pass the Bechtel test, which is the bare minimum, really, is passing that test. Are there some good examples or favorite characters um, from media that don't pass the Bechtel test? I don't think there has there was a Star Wars movie that passed the Bechdel test until 2017. Um, so that's something. Uh, in the original trilogy, there were, I think, a grand total of three female characters with names. And you had to be a big Star Wars fan to know who Ula and Mon Mothma were. So ultimately, it was just Leia. Um, and it's, you know, kind of like George Lucas just not really being like focused on that was a big thing from that but at the same time Leia is such like in some ways a little bit of like a revolutionary character like she's the beginning of the princess saves herself in this one um that kind of like movement and you know maybe there were some characters that did things like that before but they were like Barbarella types like very sexy whereas Leia is not um sexualized until Return of the Jedi, which I have many thoughts about. But, you know, like, <laughs> A New Hope, original Leia, is just doing her do and getting herself out of scrapes. And she's a senator. And, you know, she's the person who's kind of in charge of her own rescue mission um, by default because Han and Luke don't know what the hell they're doing. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's like a, it's an interesting thing that we have such an exceptional female character that still very much holds up by today's standards, at least in those first two movies. Um, and then no other girls in that trilogy that really ultimately matter. <laughs> yeah, I think looking at the another franchise in the same context would be Marvel and then Natasha being the Leia person in Marvel. Um, like phase one, she was a badass, like no denying it. However, she didn't have, she still had that very like sexualized role, um, especially like in Iron Man 2. Oh my gosh, I have so many comments on Iron Man 2. Um, but like in terms of the Bechdel test, phase one definitely doesn't, I don't think any of the phases until three, maybe four pass the Bechdel test. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I would have to double check. But either way, like, I guess the, like the parallel character between Leia and or like between Star Wars and Marvel would be Natasha and Leia would be the parallel characters. And then bringing back the conversation, because there's only one woman, she can be pretty and smart and capable, you know, but God forbid, if, if there was another female character that was prevalent in Star Wars, I can't imagine that Leia would have been allowed to be everything that she is, uh, or Natasha, you know, they would have had to 
pinhole uh the, like those characters i just can't imagine they would have let them be who they are if there was another woman there and you got me thinking i can't even think of what the first marvel movie would have been to pass the bechdel test like would it have been like guardians with nebula and gamora um i feel even like then they were talking about Thanos. well hannah i mean i think you probably know best uh is there like a time limit on this is it like 10 minutes they have to hold a conversation it's not that long i think it's something like uh it, it, it's it's there's like a like a five line i think it's like they have to exchange five lines of dialogue or something like minuscule like that or or at least it's like a scene i'm not really sure it definitely doesn't have to be like there's 10 minutes worth that if that were the case like two movies would miss the fact of that um <laughs> but um uh there is like a you know it just has to be like a scene that kind of stands on its own at least my yeah. understanding is that the bar is really low for the Bechdel test that it's any piece of uh dialogue that is not centered around a man so when it comes to Nebula and Gamora most of their conversations are about Thanos their dad torturing them yeah <laughs> uh even a movie like Captain Marvel has uh uh Carol Danvers surrounded by men. I don't think she talks to any other female characters. You're forgetting about oh. her best friend. Oh. Yeah. Maria. Maria Rambo. You're right. I forgot about that subplot. I was like, Goose <laughs> the cat? Oh no, you're right. Maybe that was the first one. Maybe Black Panther. I'm not quite sure. I don't think Black Panther either. Um, because I think Shuri was also like talking a lot about like her brother. Uh I don't I'm not sure if it I think you might be right with the Captain Marvel thing. It might have been that. Okay. Allegedly, according to the Screen Rant article, Iron Man 2 does pass the Bechdel test because there are a couple of lines of dialogue that Pepper and Natasha exchange. No, that's the movie that passes. That's so unfortunate. Are they not talking about Tony? (laughs) What are they talking about? Look, frankly, I'm going to be completely honest. I've seen most Marvel movies. I will not watch any of the Iron Man ones. I haven't seen Iron Man 1, 2, or 3. I just don't feel the need. So I don't know. (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought the Bechdel test was in a romance. Would they talk about a guy in a romantic context? Is that true or not? Or is it just pertaining to any man? Necessarily. I think as long as it's not like, I think the intention with it is not that it's like they can't be romantic with him, but it's more like they have to exist independently of a man's existence. Like they're not like just an accessory to him. Like Okay, um, I get you. Yeah. Like Ahsoka in the Clone Wars really exists to be Anakin's like accessory a lot of the time especially in the earlier seasons and then grows into her own like stuff um even though they're not romantically involved it still would not pass like the Bechdel test mm-hmm. because she's kind of a little bit of a prop of his at the beginning got you okay yeah it says online that there are three rules two women need to be featured the women need to be talking to each other and it has to they have to discuss something other than a man so I guess, like Hannah was saying, like it it can't really be, like about a dad or like you know a brother it has to be, just not no man conversation. Mm-hmm. It is um, like uh, oh sorry. I was just gonna say Hannah said that 
people either take it seriously or like shit on it. But from my experience, uh, when I talk about it with other women, I don't think we necessarily take it seriously or shit on it because it's like, it's kind of just laughable. It's just like, this is the world that we live in. I feel like we've come so far yet. Or do any of the Oscars pass it? Like how, what percentage of movies pass it? Because it has to be less than 10, even now. Everything everywhere all at once, I feel like passes it. Oh, for sure. Easily it passes. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about Babylon and I was like, I guess those there are those like five lines of the ad-libbed dialogue when Margot Robbie and um, the one woman whose name I'm forgetting are like kind of dating. But other than that, I don't, I don't think there's much. Yeah. Um, there, there's, have you guys heard of the reverse Bechtel test? Which yeah, is just testing the other way around. Yeah. Um, that, I remember, like, kind of around the time of Gamergate, that was a thing that was getting brought up a lot. Um, and, you know, Maleficent was the movie that people were pointing at. They were like, look, they're taking us out of the equation now. Um, because Maleficent does not pass the reverse Bechdel test. The, there is, like, one, there are two men in it. One of them who exists to be Angelina Jolie's love interest and one of them who exists to be Elle Fanning's love interest. And it's, you know, like, I think there are not many more movies than that, that, you know, don't pass the reverse Bechdel test. But the fact that there was one that didn't, and that caused such a ruckus, is very interesting. A, uh, an ancillary kind of theory thought process to the Bechdel test is also the idea of fridging. Are you... Uh, are you guys, uh, do you guys know what the, like, fridging is? No. No. Let's Anyone want to take it? I feel like you probably know more than I do, Hannah, but fridging comes from a comic. I can't remember which one, but a, a hero had come home to find his love interest dead in a fridge. Um, and it became the term for female characters that are killed off to advance the plot line of a male character. Yeah, I think it was a Green Lantern comic, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. like, it started out being a thing in comics and there was like this running list that was kept called the women in refrigerators list of every time that it happened in a comic book. Um, and it's long, it's so long. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a woman being killed. It can also be a woman being like, you know, experiencing severe violence, like, um, Barbara Gordon being like permanently disabled because of, you know, something that is done to her in order to get at Batman. Um, and uh, there's a lot of like examples of women experiencing sexual assault in order to get at their like boyfriend or whatever, um, who is a superhero. Uh, so it's, it's really, it's a lot of that, of um, a woman who is killed in order to further a man's development. And there's a lot of debate as to like, well, was this done to further their development or to further their own care? You know, like whose development was this for? And it's it's it gets a little bit like opaque because we can't always see into the writer's brains, but oftentimes it it does like to a woman reading a comic book, it feels clear that this was not for, you know, this um, character's like own growth 
or maybe if this was just like the culmination of the story and it made sense. Um, but I know that like Gwen Stacy is a, like a hot point of contention about whether she was fridged or not, or whether it was just like a progression of the plot that made sense. Yeah, uh, comic writer Gail Simone is the one who coined, uh, I believe, the phrase and created a website for it. I think there's a website. I think it's womeninrefrigerators.com or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was like like Angel Fire website. It's like an old website, isn't it? It, it was old. Um, <laughs> Gail Simone is still doing amazing work um, uh, in every sense. If you haven't checked out her Twitter, uh, she is a troll in all the best ways. Um, definitely worth checking out. Um, let's talk about your favorite fandoms. Because we talked about stuff that you had grown up with. But what about right now? It is it is the year 2023. What are you digging right now? This is the part of the podcast where I make it about Dr. Afra, like I do every time. Um, so you like, wait, you like Star Wars? I like Star Wars. <laughs> You like Dr. Afra? What? What? What's going on here with my Lego Darth Vader here? <laughs> um, with my... These are the things that are sitting behind my camera. Anyway, um, I... Let me pull her out. Okay, so Dr. Afra is um, my favorite woman in fiction right now. Um, she came out in as like sort of a sidekick character in the Darth Vader comics in 2015 I think um as part of like the first wave of canon comics um in like the new Star Wars canon and it you know it started out like she was a little bit of a um like like a side character and she had like a smart mouth and every once in a while they drew her in a way that was like sexy but it quickly like comes out that she is an ex-girlfriend of like a another female character that was running in the star like the just star wars like main crew line um this character santa staros who used to be married to han solo and it's like a very messy web as comics always are um but she in doing that was i think the first canonically queer character in the new star wars canon i could be wrong um, but anyway, her comics are still running. She's incredible. Um, you know, uh, she now has her own comic. She has since 2016. Her new, like, run is written by um, a queer Asian femme, which is what Afra is. So it's just, like, so exceptional that um, Star Wars is moving in that direction, and the stories are so good, and Afra is so fantastic. She's, like, a little bit of a she used to work for Darth Vader, and now she doesn't anymore. She's like a morally gray, gay Indiana Jones. It's fantastic. It's 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 great. Um, so I highly highly recommend that. But that's she's quickly become like my favorite Star Wars character of all time, and she hasn't shown up in live action yet. Um, so Dave Filoni, if you're watching this, <laughs> <laughs> right now I'm kind of on like a Doctor Who run, like I'm, I'm watching it for the first time and I'm on the 13th Doctor and I love her. <laughs> she's absolutely fabulous. And she's also paired with this other woman named Yaz. I'm loving her too. She's amazing. She's a Pakistani woman. And I'm like, wow, our representation is great now. I mean, I, I've liked Doctor Who as I've been like watching it. I've been like kind of 
obsessing over it it's fine um but like I think Jodie Whittaker gets so much hate she does such an amazing job though with what she's given um obviously like I'm a big Marvel person but like right now not it's not I'm not vibing with it I mean um Miss Marvel I think was the most recent project that I was like period yes Miss Marvel, uh, Kamala Khan, amazing addition and like great representation again, like from Jersey City, which is amazing. Also, <laughs> um, nice added bonus there. Um, I, I don't know, like Marvel is definitely, you know, introducing a lot of great female characters right now. I'm excited to see what they do with the Marvels. Um, but some of like the other characters that have been like recently introduced, like Jennifer Walters, I felt like could have been written a little bit better um same with Cassie in the new Ant-Man movie could have been written a lot better but yeah overall Jodie Whittaker vibing with her and love Kamala Khan I was gonna mention She-Hulk as well um I attached I attached myself to Jennifer Walters I just I really loved the story but I do agree it could have been written a little bit better um I do think it's funny that the writers went in knowing that men were going to hate the show so they had this whole like the ending the ending of the episode spoiler alert for anybody like they, they like go I don't know how to explain it it's like they go and then there's this whole thing where they're against She-Hulk and it was just like purposely written that way to be like yeah we knew people we knew people were going to come after the show a little bit um but regarding fandoms that I am super into um I have to talk about Cindy Moon um she actually <laughs> before before I went by Cindy Che I actually went by Cindy Moon and I my username was Cindy Moon with seven O's um <laughs> and I was in I am still obsessed with that girl she is the Korean American spider woman um she started her story um that in one of the universes I think it's Earth 616 she was bitten by the same radioactive spider that Peter Parker was bitten by except she was bitten in her ankle she received a different set of powers she was being hunted down by somebody and she had to lock herself in a bunker for 10 years and so one day Peter like senses her where he's somewhere he's at and like releases her from the bunker and they have this whole story they they have a romance at one point but then it then they kind of realize like no we can't do it we can't have this romance it doesn't work out and they just remain like friends slash like allies um so a lot the her standalone comics are fantastic um I love that she struggles with herself because she like her a majority of her story is her a, a majority of her first story is her trying to track her family down and trying to find them and her just struggling to readjust to her reality no longer being in the bunker again and I just find it I just find her struggle to be very real and personable and something that like I can relate to and so it's just something I fixated on and she became my favorite cosplay. I cosplay her all the time. Um, I always find excuses to try to cosplay her, whether it be at conventions or with collabs with other people. Like I'm, I'm just obsessed with that girl. Uh, an interesting thing about Cindy Moon is that she started off kind of just as a male fantasy. Uh, Hannah brought up Dr. Afra being a little bit different in the beginning than what she developed into. Um, is that a consistent constant thing with female characters that they're uh, for instance cindy moon and peter uh cindy uh maybe you might be able to explain it better their animalistic relationship yeah they have that and it's definitely not one of my favorite things about her um or like about like what they 
wrote for her. Um, I've even like in some of my videos that I make about Cindy, I'm just like, don't make pheromone jokes to me. Just don't do it. Um, sometimes I get them and I'm just like, yeah, no, yeah, block. Um, but yeah, that is something that they wrote in. I'm very glad they moved away from it. And I'm glad that she is standing on her own now because she has very good stories on her own where even like she has like a good storyline with Black Cat and it's fantastic. I think it's worth noting that like both those characters that we brought up that, you know, started out being like a little bit more sexualized and they grew into are both Asian women, which is just like, you know, Asian women in comics get constantly fetishized and not good, not good guys. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. In our year, like also not like super old characters, like characters with comics currently coming out. So it's like, Hmm, why are we still doing that? And not that Dr. Afra got super fetishized, it, but you know, like there there are certain ways that she's drawn where she's fixing the droid and she's a little bit like like fixing him. Um and it's just like, ah, thank you for this character, but you didn't need to do all that. Mm -hmm. That kind of no, reminds me of like the discourse with Nebula's pose and like the newest poster. <laughs> like that is so funny to me that nebula in the first posters and everything was kind of sexualized yet she's never really been sexualized in the actual content of guardians at least the the cinematic content of guardians and the second like her boobs are gone and she's wearing like just a tank people are upset that she's not pretty anymore when that's like never been the point of her character at all except for like what if you know <laughs> I think that's so funny that you brought that up because like Karen Gillan on TikTok has also made like comments about like her pose. She's like, oh, I don't know what I was doing. I just kind of like did it. Um, but like, yeah. <laughs> when has it I just like want to know, like, was she ever like I feel like Nebula is like one of those characters that's like cannot. I mean, I don't know how you uh I don't know. I, I don't I don't think I'm one to speak to that, but like was she ever like very sexualized? I mean, she's, you know, technically female, but she's also technically a robot. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, men love to write about how they want to fuck a robot. There's a whole <laughs> Oscar winning movie about it. So, or there's several Oscar winning movies about it actually. So, you know, not totally within the <laughs> Okay, yeah, facts, okay. <laughs> you make a valid point. <laughs> Robots and aliens. Science, science fiction is essentially uh, historically uh, uh, a straight white cis man's playground. Everything is for that benefit. And robots and aliens and stuff. Um, sorry, continue. Where were we going with, uh, oh, Nebula uh, and all that. But um, sorry, who, who was talking last? No, I think we were just talking about like the like Nebula being sexualized, the, the oh, like, desexualization that was... of yeah. characters that yeah. like maybe start with a, a little more like appeal towards the the male uh, audience and then kind of become their own if the male audience doesn't pick up on it. Like who knows? Like if the male audience had like had more fuss about Nebula or um, these other characters at the beginning, maybe. Then they would have gone the other way where they would have like started to become more so i think 
that might have something to do with it. Lexi, did we hear from you already about your favorite characters right now? No, thanks for asking. Uh, we got so caught up on Cindy Moon, which of course we had to, right? Um, my favorite characters right now, I'm kind of like in a bunch of little places right now. So I just finished um, season four of Attack on Titan and I just like Sasha Browse the whole way through. It was just so fun. She was funny, she was smart, she was capable. I loved that about her. Um, uh, the Last of Us, I'm just loving every female character that comes on the screen in The Last of Us is incredible. Like all of them. I just, every character, of course, of all, all of them, but I just loved, um, Kathleen was her name in uh, Kansas City. And just to see, I kept saying to my mom, because I watched Last of Us with my mom, I said, to see a female villain that is so feminine and fragile and like her voice is high and she doesn't try to be anything that she isn't as like that I don't think I've ever seen a female villain like her before and she was terrifying I don't know I loved that so those are like the two shows that I'm watching right now that I was just so enthralled in then I'm also reading I read the six of crows like the whole Grisha verse and I love every single female character in that and I just started a court of thorns and roses and Feyre and uh, Nesta are just stealing my heart <laughs> It's so funny that you mentioned The Last of Us because like right when you said that and then you said female characters, I was like immediately like Kathleen, 100% because she is like the antithesis of what you'd expect from a female villain character. Like she seems like a mom, like she could be a mom. She's giving mom energy, but then she comes out and she's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to shoot a doctor and I might kill a child. Um, It was like, wow, okay. She completely broke down that barrier of like this is how a female villain is supposed to be written and then she's like no actually that's not how this is how anyway is how let's uh let's talk about female villains because kathleen is a you know uh it was a good start there um do we have any favorite female villains what makes a good female villain i don't know I, one of my favorite female villains is Drusilla from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She's so great and she's so unhinged. Um, that's her whole thing is she's unhinged. Um, but she's got like this sort of like British ghost thing going on with her. She's a vampire, but you know, she, she, she's like um, very sort of Victorian child in like her energy. Um, but she is so fun to watch. I actually met um, Juliette Lando, I think is how you say her name, but uh, the actress um, at Com Denver Comic-Con like several years ago. And uh, it was just fantastic. Um, but she definitely holds a special place in my heart for me. Also Glory from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who I also met at that same Comic-Con um, is, you know, like one of my favorite female villains of all time. Uh, and they're they're just both so fun and great and like you know eh, joss whedon but he, he sure can write some of these characters i really like hella um that was like the first character that came to my mind because i was like wow she like stuck to her roots the whole way through like there was no wavering in her mentality, she was ready to do anything and everything. And she 
ultimately technically accomplished her goal she wanted to like take Asgard at the end of the day that's what she did but she also like died in the process um but like either way you know she she was really like she was the first Marvel female villain that I was like wow she is badass let's get more of her mm-hmm. yeah hello was one that I was gonna list too I, I was gonna say I have two that immediately came to mind and they are both with a green and black color scheme so of course going back to the very first thing that I mentioned today Shigo from Kim Possible I swear has left an impression on every single young woman or anyone who has watched Kim Possible I think she was like where it started it was this capable woman she's bossing the main villain around because he's incompetent and like for her doing the villain thing is a walk in the park she's kind of bored with it whatever she wants she accomplishes and if she doesn't want it which most of the time she doesn't really care about beating Kim. She doesn't. And she's just like, you know, filing her nails, doing her thing. Icon behavior. Her and Hella I love just... the filing her nails through like the gloves as well that she constantly does. <laughs> That's so funny. She goes like, like close to my heart. She was like, I think my first like crush was Shigo. So it was, you know, like a, like a monumental character for me. I, I couldn't think of a villain at first, but I don't know why, but you mentioning Shigo made me think of like, oh, cartoon characters from our childhood too. And I immediately thought of Azula from Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, could we I'm surprised Azula? we haven't talked about Avatar yet. Cause I was also, cause I was also thinking back and I was just like, I should have said Katara as like a childhood character I grew up with that I loved. Um, but beside the point, um, Azula, she is the definition of a villain and um, just does not care what people think she knows she's a monster she knows she knows she's a baddie and just to see at the end of the series when like her friends like betray her and then she starts to go a little crazy just seeing that happen to her and her derail is just crazy and she's also super powerful too she's an extremely powerful firebender so and she's it's just 14. so smart she's yeah, a baby yeah. she's in middle school and she's doing <laughs> and going through all of that it just makes me like there's something so like fantastic about her because you know she's evil and she's delightfully fun to watch but also like your heart really hurts for her at the same time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly I think she's so layered she's so like she's such a complex character she's super smart I really think like you hit the nail inside of the wood with this one like that is like the perfect female villain is like she's got everything going on I think everyone in that show was like perfect in every regard um but like Azula specifically like she has everything going on she doesn't fall into like any stereotypes she is like unequivocally her and yeah she yeah that's great choice (laughs) so in terms of common things between them they're simultaneously completely unhinged and also entirely in control Like, that's what makes a good, I think, any kind of villain. Like, what makes a good female villain is what makes a good male villain. It's uh, incredible motivation and uh, dedication to character that never wavers. And then that little bit of like, oh my gosh, only a completely crazy person would do this. But also, they know exactly what they're doing and how to do what they're going to accomplish. Uh, What's the thought on just the mean girl trope in general? I mean, not it doesn't even have to be super villains. I mean, super villains are essentially mean girls, but um, it could be um, 
you know, from what's her name, Kate from Lizzie McGuire or whatnot, like any sort of uh, female characters that are this sort of mean girl trope. I mean, I can't think of, oh no, go ahead. No, Hugo. <laughs> I can't think of one right now, but I just wanted to like touch on the female. Like, I think the mean girl female sometimes are like, over exaggerated you know like the tripping and like these like weird pranks that the the girls pull on one another but I think when it comes to like the concept of mean girl it's you know it's very relatable like there are women there are girls and I think this goes for guys as well it's not like one-sided gender but like there are those girls that will go after you I think the difference between like reality and tv is that in tv they're usually doing it physically um in reality it's a lot of mental manipulation and like getting inside of your head and like that's how the mean girl operates in the real world so I think that's like one of the like differences that happens between reality and tv but I don't have an example right now I can't think of a good tv example where it's like really well depicted but I will say the mean girl Regina George is very much what you're describing of you know there there's some realism there's some 2004 realism but realism nonetheless um in that um and there there are a lot of like characters in movies that are just kind of like you know subtle digs mental manipulation um this is extreme and physical like you were saying but now my brain is going to Miranda Priestly um who is great and excellent from the Devil Wears Prada um and you know evil um the, the I, I think calling her a girl is reductive because she's like a grown 50 year old woman but you know like the the ice queen um and I you know I think it's interesting because she is based on a real person like she is in fact based on Anna Wintour from like her assistance memoir um so it's very you know like I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of like realism within the mean girl trope. And that's the first thing that came to mind is like, it feels like it couldn't be real and yet it is. Um, and in that particular movie, um, I mean, you know, allegedly, 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 don't sue me. Um, but yeah, like. <laughs> in Hannah's mind, both Anna Wintour and Dave Filoni are watching this episode. Yeah. <laughs> that's right that's right shoot hi baby aim for the moon and you'll land among the stars that's what i always say yeah i think the mean girl trope is definitely rooted in reality and it's rooted around that relatability like a lot of mean girls without any other extra development to their character is in media built for younger children preteens like every disney show has like the mean girl to offset the main character and it's just to make the character learn how to deal with that kind of conflict. Uh, I do think sometimes it teaches some girls how to be mean girls and that's how you become the popular one is by being mean. So I think that hopefully that's faded a little bit from the 2000s, like here is your mean girl. Um, I will say I thought of the movie Do Revenge, which I don't know if any of you have seen. I love that That's, movie. <laughs> it's like the perfect modern mean girl story. It shows the mental manipulation. It goes over the top. You know everything they're doing is like totally unrealistic because everything about the movie is unrealistic but it's really fun to watch. Like that's the best mean girl trope that I've seen in a long time because it's so dynamic. They also pay homage to a lot of like 90s films, 90 cult classic like Cruel Intentions, 
10 Things I Hate About You, Mean Girls, um, what other movies from that time? <laughs> um, all those movies, they all, they, they do Heathers. a really good job paying homage to those movies. And like, I think all those movies do have some sort of a mean girl aspect in that. So yeah. Yeah, Mean Girl's fun when it's done right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with X-Men, both heroes and villains? I watched the first X-Men movie with Anna Paquin as Rogue. Or, is it Rogue? Yeah. It's Anna Rogue. Paquin does play Rogue, yes. Paquin. I knew I was saying one of those things wrong. Oh, is um, that what you're asking? How to pronounce her name? Yeah, how oh. yeah, how to pronounce. I was like, is it Rouge or Rogue? But I was saying Paquin Rogue, wrong. Yeah. So it no. Anyway, um I watched that a long, long time ago. Um and I've seen clips since, but I, I like have no memory of Mystique other than what I've like gleaned by osmosis from like being around pop culture people about Mystique. And I know people have like problems with the way that she is in the movie. So from my experience, X-Men is like the most female forward comic franchise, not the movies. That's the problem. The comics um, were written by Chris Claremont for 20 years, close to 20 years. And when people asked him, like, when you create new characters, why are you making them female? Um, he says, well, I think to myself, do they need to be male? And if not, then he just makes them female. So he's the one who, you know, wrote a lot of like 19 years of Storm, right? Uh, Jean Grey and the Phoenix, um, very strong female heroes. Uh, Kitty Pride, Rogue, um, uh, uh, you know, Dazzler, but then also really hardcore female villains, uh, Mystique being one of them, and it never quite translated to the movies. Um, and the movies put a lot of guys forward, but the comics have historically been like the strongest X Men are the women. Yeah. Like by and far. I still will say that the movies are better, still more female forward to me than the other than the MCU or DC. You know, I remember growing up and having watched the, the very first X-Men and I loved Rogue. I loved who she was. I loved how much she struggled with herself and figuring out what her place was and what her purpose was. Um, Mystique is just a very enticing anti-hero in the movies, if anything else. Um, and Emma Frost in uh, First Class is just a great, great villain as well. I think she's really exciting. But I think they couldn't let the women just be like full on villains in the in the movies. I think they had to be, they had to find more anti-hero elements because they needed somebody else to be the main villain for some reason. The the comics are are notoriously better than the movies, uh, both for female representation and. <laughs> Uh, uh, for you know LGBTQ plus representation, uh, Mystique is um, in a relationship with a uh, another female character named Destiny, and has been for like the last hundred years. Uh, and they're essentially Rogue's foster parents, adopted parents. Um, uh, that that's just a separate thing. Anyway, I'm just a big X Men fan. And the yeah, female well, characters have always stood out to me. Yeah. Well, I, I if I'm remembering this correctly, isn't there like Iceman was is it Iceman? 
was the yeah. first like openly gay comic book character or something like that or one of the uh, first no oh. technically the first the first openly gay character was north star back in like the 80s i think oh, right. um but iceman did come out i guess if you think about iceman was one of the first five x-men and he wasn't out then and then like 10 years ago they you can call it a retcon you can not call it a retcon um said that he is gay and so some people had problems with it saying he wasn't gay back then and it's like well that you okay this is just too much to talk about but um yeah iceman though i guess if you think about how how long ago he's been then yes he would would be the like the longest lasting gay character but it was only in the last 10 years. Um, but Mystique and Destiny, a lot of editorial, uh, they didn't allow them to be in a relationship. And it was hinted at for the longest time to the point where Chris Claremont originally wanted it that Mystique was genetically the father because she can shapeshift uh, to Rogue. So, and that Destiny would be the mother. But editorial wouldn't allow that. You know, little things. Uh, I feel like a lot of history is the writers, writers of anything just wanting to be more progressive than the editorial or than the movie or TV execs allowing them to be. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes me think of, um, this was not, and this was like, I think one of the first same-sex kisses on television, but definitely not the first. Um, but back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer with Willow and Tara, you know, they didn't kiss at all for like a season and a half of them dating. Um, there was a lot of implied, there was implied sex, there was implied stuff, but nothing was ever like literally depicted on screen. Um, and I think there was a lot of hubbub about like, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And they're both like, you know, Willow is a favorite character of mine, um, being a Jewish redhead lesbian. So, you know, checking all my boxes. Um, but uh, she... You and Tara are just like such wonderful characters and you root for them and you love them and they're like hands down probably the best relationship on the show um according to most people if they're not in love with David Boreans um but it's uh you know it's it, it was like a big thing when it was like when are they gonna kiss for the first time um and Joss Whedon to his credit worked very hard to desensationalize it um and made it be like a like a chaste little comforting thing after Buffy's mom passes away um and it was you know it's just like very interesting the way that that kind of had to be approached because otherwise it was going to be like a woo, you know a headline maker and he did not want it to be a headline maker um which is very I don't know it's like it's hard to deal with in the context of knowing how Joss Whedon actually treats women, but you know. Yeah. Um, uh, shout out to Aries 13 out there in our chat. Um, been really supportive this whole way through. Uh, Aries brought up Jobu Tupaki um, from, from everything everywhere all at once as a uh, female villain. Um nominated i mean uh stephanie shu is nominated for uh best and thank god she was i really was scared they were not going to nominate her and they were going to favor jamie lee curtis and i will be upset if jamie lee gets the oscar over her 
Um, but she was incredible. Yeah, I agree. Also, like, uh, she had, like, I feel like she had a lot more screen time um, than Jamie Lee. I mean, don't get me wrong. Jamie Lee Curtis did an amazing job. But, like, Stephanie Hsu, my gosh. Like, the performance that she gave. And I also think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was her breakthrough role. Uh, she hasn't had, like, that many other leading roles. And this is definitely, I think, if I'm not mistaken, like, her major motion picture breakthrough which is like incredible that she like she's incredible period (laughs) the only other thing I know her from is being in be more chill which I don't think you can put in nearly the same category as everything everywhere all at once on any level I mean that whole movie is just full of strong female characters and dynamic like interesting full female characters and then Jobu just adds like it's really fun to see a child and a mother be a villain and a hero you know and discover themselves one of discover themselves as the villain and the hero you know and figure out how they got there and why that whole thing is just good yeah it's been a really good year for like mother-daughter relationships in film too like you know turning red was great and kind of like very similar about you know, letting, like, letting go of your kid and letting them be who they want to be and not controlling what they do. You know, I think that it's, like, that's definitely, it's been, it's been a good year for, for moms and daughters in in film. Yeah, like, also, like, we brought up Turning Red, like, Miss Marvel as well, Encanto, like, it's been. Oh, Encanto, that's a big one. Yeah, like, generational trauma, very big (laughs) theme for the, for the past. Yeah, mothers and daughters and generational trauma. Yeah, it's kind of got me curious, though. I It just kind of got the wheels turning. And I'm wondering, I've seen a lot of movies recently where there's not a big villain other than just, like, the past and the existence of, of trauma in some way, shape, or form. And I, when I think of those movies, I can only think of female-led movies, like, off the top of my head, like these animated movies that are dealing with non- corporeal corporeal villains and I wonder why that might be you know I don't know just where my brain went there's definitely a debate to be had about like feminine storytelling and masculine storytelling and I don't know how much I want to like invest in that because I don't necessarily know that that's like a great way of thinking about it and it's very binary but um it's I don't I don't know whether men or women are writing those movies is the thing I I know that like the Daniels who directed everything everywhere you know are they they directed it but I don't know whether they also wrote it but um it would be very interesting like to see who's writing these stories and um whether it's just like a case of oh well female character this is like the most resonant thing that we can put a female character into that doesn't feel like it's fulfilling like a male fantasy or a masculine storytelling thing or or whether it is like there are more women and this is what they are interested in talking about um and they're interested in putting women at the front of it so that would be i'm sure a quick google search uh i am uh i am looking it up right now everything everywhere all at once is directed and written by the daniel brothers uh or the daniels or uh um and then I, i also looked up turning red right I don't know if you guys mentioned that, but uh, Turning Red uh, uh, is directed by 
Domi Shi, uh, and then screenplay also by Domi Shi and Julia Cho. Uh, so completely female uh, led here. I think it's important, like when we're talking about like trauma, it's, it, I don't think it had, it doesn't have to do with the gender. It has to do with the ethnicity um, and like the fact that all of these people that we're talking about, whether it's like Encanto, Turning Red, Everything Everywhere All at Once, they're immigrant families. They're coming with generational trauma. And I think that's that's where that's rooted from. It's not rooted. I fully 100% believe that it's not rooted from the gender, but rather the upbringing. Yeah, I, I totally think you're right on there. I was just wondering like why the character, because characters, these male characters also deal with the same kind of traumas. But when yeah. I think of the movies that have been released recently that do explore a non- human villain it just happens to be all female character leads which yeah. might be related to i don't know like processing of like emotions and dealing with that and and like a, an audience might relate to that more through the lens of that kind of character i don't know i, I have no answers i just have a lot of questions now that it's like popped into my mind it yeah. could have to do with oh sorry i was just saying like she makes a good point I think it could have to do with the society's view on therapy. And mm -hmm. so if we're looking at media as a form of therapy, uh, either through the characters or meant to cross that fourth wall, um, uh, therapy, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to generalize, but it's relatively like, yeah, women are more open to therapy than men. Men are classically saying no to therapy. And shout out to to all the men out there who are going to therapy and working on themselves and um, hopefully getting the help that they that they need because we all need so much help. Um, but I think that's what it comes down to, like Encanto, everything, everywhere, all at once, turning red, even if they're directed by men. The stories seem to be positioned towards a female audience and discovering their feelings and working through that. Um, I'm trying to think of a male movie that has, that centers around that. And it's kind of tough. For some reason, Black Panther, T'Challa dealing with T'Chaka in the afterlife and working through his, you know, his love of his father, but then also realizing that he was not the king that he thought he was. But the whole movie doesn't revolve around that. I think the other one that kind of comes to, well, actually, I don't know if that one counts. I was going to say Moon Knight, but I don't think that counts um, in terms of like generational trauma. They do terrible Jewish rep. So um, I don't think I can say that. But I was also thinking like Shang-Chi when you um, brought up Black Panther, like a little bit there too. Shang-Chi, definitely. I actually forgot about Shang-Chi. Um, I don't know if you've seen Steven Universe, but I feel like Steven Universe has created an effect on, um, let's just say superhero media or action adventure or whatnot about how you can solve problems, not through fighting, like keep fighting as a second resort. Cindy, uh, you're nodding your head. Uh, you're, what's your experience with Steven Universe? Um, I haven't seen Steven I haven't seen Steven Universe in a hot minute and I have yet to see Steven Universe Future, which is its last season, but I agree with you. Like Steven does do doesn't 
resort to fighting at first um as resort um as opposed to like the other crystal gems that may go into fighting he, he just wants to try to resolve conflict in a different way um and also like you know still fight by their side um yeah it's been a while since i've seen the show but i i think that's um that show is that show is just a beautiful show all together um just i wouldn't like the gems are like the gems aren't like how do i explain it um they present they're female presented but they're not like because they're aliens they're yeah they're aliens yeah but they're like gem based aliens yes exactly yeah so it's like they're female presented so and that's what i think i think all the gems are female presented um correct me if i'm wrong but yeah yeah that that's a that's a powerful show i think they're all either female or non-binary yes yes yeah steven is the only uh male gem Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that it, it shifted into how can we tell this conflict without having to deal with punching as often? So dealing with intergenerational trauma, um, I never finished turning red, but I'm assuming she doesn't punch her mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> she doesn't. Right. So that's good. Uh talking uh through their problems and dealing with that. But I yeah, I, I can't. Is there a question? Is that like we're we're dealing with essentially non-white stories when it comes to these three examples? Are is there uh let's just say a white female story that deals with intergener- intergenerational trauma? I didn't finish Gunpowder Milkshake. I don't know if anyone watched that, but that has I think three generations of women. But I don't know if there's an gotta be something that I just haven't watched. I haven't watched Shiva Baby. Sh- Shiva Baby. My tongue just fell asleep, but I think that there's some element of that in there. Um, I don't know if anyone here has. I mean, I don't know if like we're talking about like baggage being handed down and kind of just like you know growing up in a family where like you know, you're constantly in this like perpetual cycle of like, it just not working out. I would actually say Hunger Games, Um, just like going back, it would be like Katniss and like her family just like constantly being in this like pit and like having to deal with whatever's coming their way constantly is like just being handed down through the generations up until Katniss. Yeah. This is a musical. There's also Next to Normal. Mm. next to normal which famously does not handle bipolar disorder well at all um but was written in 2007 so you can make excuses for it based on that if you if you wish but um that that is like very focused around um like sort of the mother-daughter relationship and the mother being very mentally ill, but also having had a mother who also couldn't really handle herself and that all kind of being passed down to the daughter who's like just coming of age, who's starting to have those same problems too. Like, so it's about very like literally things being handed down like history of mental illness, but also like sort of the passage forward of trauma Mm. of watching one's like mother go through um, a very intense struggle with mental illness. 
Um, as uh, shifting a little bit as we as we sort of close things up, um, I didn't want to give the uh, time up front for this, but I did want to circle back to trolls because everybody here is a content creator uh, and just trolls in real life. You don't have to be a content creator to deal with trolls in real life. Um, but something that I hear uh, a lot being on, on this side of this fence is the erasure of men through the strengthening of women in the stories. Uh, I, I see that a lot. Uh talk about male incompetence and and whatnot um i think we really need to put the term mary sue to disuse is my biggest opinion on this point of deliberation i think that it served its purpose it is a fan fiction trope and it boy oh boy is it needed there but i don't think we need to you know start sticking it into yeah, Captain Marvel is too good at things because her superpowers are strong. Yeah, we know her superpowers are strong. That sometimes not every superhero is going to be on equal levels of power. You know, yeah. like she doesn't spend the movie being too good at everything. She, in fact, spends the movie not understanding a lot of what's going on around her. Same with Ray. Like they were like, oh, she was made to be really good at piloting and mechanics in order to humiliate Han Solo. In what world is Star Wars going to be like, yes, let's humiliate Han Solo? In what, like, what planet are you living on? Because I would like to come visit. Like, that sounds fun. But also, you know, like, they're they're not. They're not, though. They're not. It's There are reasons. There are textual reasons for these characters to be good at fighting. And yet we need a training montage and a very specific dossier of all of their specific skills at the beginning of the movie in order for any of them to come back at the end. And it's like, okay, like keep that energy for Anakin Skywalker, I guess. Like, you know, there's no consistency. Um, and I just think that it's, it's, a, uh, it's a term that has lost its meaning. It's a term that is being used for all of the wrong reasons. And frankly, it's just not beneficial or relevant in most media. And I can see where, like, if there's a character who is just, like, way too likable and everything gets resolved immediately, like, by all means, criticize that. But maybe we can use more than two words to describe what we're angry about rather than being like Mary Sue at every girl who can fight in a movie, which is most of them. So what gives um but yeah i think i think that's a little a little silly goofy of us to try to keep making work and maybe we don't even need to make you know video essays proving that ray is not in fact a mary sue maybe we can just be like let's actually just stop using that term because it's kind of stupid and it refers like to star trek fan fiction and it doesn't really need to be culturally relevant yeah you brought up skill set i think the the one the biggest like the trolls came out of hiding i guess uh during like she hulk when you have a person with like seemingly like you're like assuming that the skill set should be similar between like bruce banner and she hulk but oh no suddenly she hulk knows how to do yoga 
and like Bruce Banner doesn't. And all of the guys who are like toxic fanboys lost their entire mind, like just at that one scene alone, which was like the span of what, what, 10 seconds, five seconds. It's incredible to see what will set off like those people who are looking to tear down like a difference of skill set within a similar character. I can't do yoga. Like, <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to the Hulk, but what I mean is that, like, so people who do yoga can do yoga. Who's to say yeah. Bruce Banner has done yoga? He's never done it. He wouldn't be good at it. Why would the Hulk... Uh, like, that's not part of gamma radiation that gives you an innate ability to do yoga. It's just weird. It's just that Jen's uh, been to a couple mm -hmm. classes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's okay. It's, um, it's building people off also their in Shulk, They talked about how. Oh, sorry, Lexi. What was that? It's just in my opinion. When I was watching She Hulk, it was just like, okay, so the gamma radiation builds off of what they already deal with. So like Bruce was having these these horrible mental health issues, and it latched onto that and made him completely unstable and separated the Hulk and Bruce. Whereas Jen has dealt with that more in her past and deals with it every day, and she says that. And she's like, that's why I can handle this whole thing is because I already have to do that. And I've like attuned to myself to hold it together all the time, which is what Bruce like wasn't able to do. And then when it also, comes to Also, she like, doesn't even succeed in that. There is yeah. th that big moment where she just gets so pissed off that she hulks Bruce style. So it's not even real. Like yeah. most of the time Ooh. she can handle it, but sometimes she can't. <laughs> which relatable. <laughs> like I can't hone it on all the time either, girl. <laughs> and also i mean statistically who's more likely to have been getting therapy i don't know uh i don't know um dealing with their problems is is, is a big thing um but yes uh the trolls want to have things to complain about they will gun for it they will talk about ahsoka they'll be weird they will ahsoka's their number one everything else hannah's shaking her head Oh, I, I'm not, I don't hate women though. Cause I like Ahsoka. I didn't in 2008 when I thought she was annoying and a brat, but I like Ahsoka now. So I, I'm not a misogynist. Yeah. Whatever. Shut yeah. up. Like, I, I don't hate women. I have a mom. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. You know, um, with, uh, I forget, I forget where I was going with, with the trolls, uh, and whatnot. Um, Mary Sue, that whole thing is a good part of that. Um, and then the, uh, let's just talk about representation in numbers, I guess, but basically complaining that there's just too much representation. Like why are these roles female? So on and so forth. But the way I think of it is that like, if, if roughly 50% of, of people out there are female, why aren't all our, like 50% of heroes female? 50% of villains female, like it just would make the most amount of sense. Um, you guys have any thoughts about just representation in general? You mean in like what sense? I don't know. Numbers. I'm throwing things out there. I mean, I feel like it doesn't matter if like a film is like 50-50. I feel like if there's a film that wants to focus on a female and does it well, like that's great. There's a film that wants to focus on a male and does it well, that's also great. I think where you start to have the problem is when you like 
you know, conform to stereotypes in either gender, um, that's where everything kind of just like goes wrong. Um, but I think if a film is like written well, directed well, I think again, like the best example of this is everything everywhere. All at once you have like male characters in that film that perform very well. You have female characters that perform very well. And it's like, great, amazing. Let's have more of that. Um, instead of like, you know, conf- like falling into like the stereotypes unfortunately i i did did feel like for ant-man like it kind of fell into a couple stereotypes um especially like with like father daughter dynamics um but like again you're like introduced to like an amazing you know villain and he's written really well and it, it gets you excited when things are written well without stereotypes yeah i think a big um, part of that is also like who is who is making these projects who is being hired to write these things if you're going to be consistently hiring white men you are not going to be guaranteed to get a lot of female characters or characters of color that are well written or necessarily even exist because that's not something that they will necessarily be thinking about and just because that's not you know their lived experience so that's not the first thing on their mind whereas like a female writer might be a little bit more focused on like, okay, let me create the character that I wish I had growing up. Let me create somebody that I personally relate to. It's so much easier to write what you know. So I think the biggest thing when we're looking at like demographics of characters, it's symptomatic of demographics of writers. Mm-hmm. Um, As we close this up, I do want to know, what is one character that you have now that you didn't have back when you were younger that you wish you had? Um, oh. oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. You go first. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say Miss Marvel. I really love her character. She's great. And like, she's also like geared toward a younger audience. So I was like, okay, you know, like this is the superhero female person of color from like South Asia in an immigrant family in Jersey City that I wish I had growing up. Like, oh my gosh, she falls into so many categories. Um, And like, it confronts like the historical aspect, superhero aspect, it's got everything. It's beautiful and I wish I had it. I'm gonna go back to our Disney princess conversation and I'm going to say Raya from Raya and the Last Dragon. Um, She is a a big deal for me and my mother um, on a cultural and um, like personal aspect. Um, My mom is from Cambodia, so I'm half Cambodian. Um, And when the film was coming out, she she was just obsessed with it because it's like based around Southeast Asian culture. So and that that was like one of the first um, I think that is like one of the first like Disney movies to like represent that part of Asia. So that was a big deal for us. And um, I also cosplay her as well. And um, also just seeing Raya like struggle to trust people after what her and Namari went through when they were younger um just seeing that whole transformation happen too um I want to argue that Raya passes the Bechdel test but I'm not 100% certain um but yeah like I wish I had Raya growing up because like but now that I have her now I I'm obsessed with her and cosplay her and am in love with her too so I definitely wish that I grew up with She-Ra. Um, I think that would have been great uh, for me as a little queer child. Um, uh, you know, there's, I, I think 
Korra was around when I was growing up, but I hadn't seen Avatar until I was, until the pandemic, I didn't watch Avatar. So I, and it also like skewed a little older than I was. I think it was aimed towards the kids who watched Avatar who are now teenagers watching Korra. I don't know, but I just like, I didn't find it. Um, but Shira is like, it's geared relatively young. And um, I think that's really great for uh, like true children's media to have some fantastic and organic and eventual queer representation that just like, it's just a part of the world. It's just the one important male character just runs around in a crop top and that's how it's gonna be, you know? Moana for Disney princesses. I just, I love Moana's story. I love seeing her fail and try again and like the relationship with her family and the burdens that she bears. I just think Moana is some, the Disney princess that if I had her growing up, I think I would actually be a different human being. I just, I, she's my favorite Disney princess. And then the one that really came to mind is not movie or TV, but um, Nina Zenik in Six of Crows is a character who's like, it's a plus size woman who knows that she's sexy, knows that she can get whatever she wants, oversteps all the time and gets herself into these terrible messes because she has a big mouth and she overestimates herself. And I feel like so many characters that we grew up with underestimate themselves and like don't know that they can succeed and don't know this. And Katniss is so careful and Bella is so timid. And then you see Nina who is none of those things and just is, is fiercely, bombastically herself and every other character that I can think of that I read growing up was more like an introvert and finds themselves and finds the right people for them where Nina knows she can bring whoever she wants to her. And I just, as a somebody who grew from an introvert into an extrovert, like Nina's who I needed. Those are um, all great picks. Um, I want to thank you for so much for coming on this episode and talking about uh, uh, your experiences, your interests, these characters that you love, that you relate with, uh, characters that you love to hate and, and their properties. Um, before we get going, uh, where can we find you online? What do you got coming up? Anything you wanna plug? Uh, Hannah, I'll let you go first. Yeah, um, you can find me at Discount Bo-Katan on TikTok. Um, or H.M. Peterson on Instagram, also Discount Bo-Katan on Instagram. I'm just there less frequently because I frequently forget that I have an Instagram where I'm supposed to post my TikToks. Um, and yeah, I don't know, I'm just coming up a lot of Mandalorian content, uh, living up to my namesake, tracking Bo-Katan through this series and seeing where we end up with her. Are you, uh, wait, do you cosplay Bo-Katan? Um, I like closet cosplay Bogotan. I have, um, it's like a little, um, I don't know. It's like, like a, like a sports bra basically, but it, it, I wear it over like a black turtleneck and I make my hair look like a bob. And, um, this sports bra crop top thing is, it's like printed with Mandalorian armor and it looks like Bogotan's. And then I have her, um, little headband thing. Like, I popped it on for New York Comic Con. I don't frequently make content in it because it's not a real cosplay, but it's, you know, it's a little fun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I just wanted to know. Um, uh, thank you so much, Anna. Yeah, yeah. If anyone wants to send me $600 to get Mandalorian armor, like, feel free. 
Uh, we'll start a nonprofit for you. How about that? Right, we'll, right. we'll work it into the work it into the key uh, plans. Um, but thank you, Anna, for coming on. Thank uh, you. Sarah, where can we where can we find you online? What do you got coming? Up? Um, yeah, so I'm at Movies and Tea on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, and then I am still basically an Avenger on TikTok, subject to change eventually. Um, yeah, um, things that I've got going on, grad school. That's it. It's nothing exciting. It's all right. You're you're it's doing right. you're doing you're doing great work online. I don't know about your work at grad school. Like you could be doing horribly. I don't know. I can't speak on that. But <laughs> you online, studying? you're doing amazing. What? What are you studying? Media, culture, and communications. Ooh. Yeah, this is spicy major. I'm right down the road from Hannah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm also starting grad school. Like, I mean, I guess I'm in, I'm in a dual degree. Um, so where is it? Wait, at the same school? Yeah, same school. I've all, I've been in this like master's program uh, since my I guess junior year of undergrad because it's like an overlap thing. I like you apply sophomore year and whatever, but I'm getting a master's in arts management. Um, so we're just doing we're just doing grad school girls. Yeah, <laughs> in the city. <laughs> uh, Lexi, uh, where can we find you? What do you got coming up? I'm Lexin Plays on TikTok and Lexin Read on Instagram, and. Coming up, I'm hoping to get together uh, a Keyleth cosplay from Vox Machina, and uh, I'm going to hopefully be posting more Genya as the uh, the Shadow and Bone season two comes out in just two weeks, maybe, yeah, two weeks. Uh, so that's soon. exciting. Uh, and then I am going to Galaxy's Edge in just a few weeks, so I'm hoping to maybe get some content there if I remember while I'm enjoying the day in Disney. <laughs> That's, See, if you can, that's, if Vimarati still walks around, she, like, she will, she will lead you on an adventure, is all I will say, if you know who she yes. is. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard of her and her story, just, I haven't read anything besides, like, the basics that I should know if I'm going to interact with her, and I think, I heard that the Mando and uh, Grogu are out now for season two, or season three, so I'm, like, really hoping that they're still around in two three weeks when i go i just if i meet grogu in real life i might start crying <laughs> is grogu a puppet um it's not a, a baby right they don't it's an they animatronic dress... it's like a little oh, he okay. carries around like a little a little robot grogu and it blinks and it moves its head it's crazy that sounds crazy um i hope you have fun uh, Cindy, where can we find you? So you can find me on both TikTok and Instagram at it's Cindy Che. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that I never have used, but maybe one day I will use it. Um, we'll find out in the future. Um, maybe that could be an upcoming thing. Um, as for content that I have coming out right now, um, on my TikTok, I'm currently posting um, TikToks of a dang and romp a character named Togo. Um, I've been I made a lot of contact with her a few days ago, and then yesterday I got together with Kiara Elizabeth and we did um, Wednesday and Enid from the Netflix show, and so that should be coming out soon. Um, she started posting it all already. I have yet to post it, but that will be coming out soon, probably after um, I finish posting some Togo videos. So yeah, uh, all four of you are wonderful. You work hard. Um, your content is amazing. So I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for, for coming on this and talking about uh, women in fiction. For anyone out there watching, you're either watching us on twitch.tv slash The Keeg Show, 
Uh, not YouTube, because I got a strike on YouTube. So not this week. But if you're listening to the podcast, it's wherever you get your podcast from. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and now Stitcher. Um, wherever you digest us, let us know that you're out there. Like, comment, subscribe, write a review, do your thing. Let us know you're out there. Let us know you're listening. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at The Keeg Show. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at The Keeg Show. It's pretty much The Keeg Show wherever, including thekeegshow.com, which is our new website where we are writing articles, releasing articles um, on different subjects and whatnot. Uh, it just came out, so it's going to pick up soon. So thekeegshow.com and then also patreon.com slash thekeegshow if you want to give back to the Keeg. Um, other than all that, uh, we got a lot of shows. Definitely check out our Instagram for all those shows and the show schedule. But either way, um, thank you everybody for coming on this show. Thank you uh, to everybody out there watching. Thank you to Aries13 for being in the chat and uh, uh, being uh, awesome out there, uh, typing all the good stuff. And uh, yes, that is it. Thank you guys so much for watching. Once again, uh, I'm your host, Demetra Pereira, and this has been the Keeg Talks women in fiction. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Super strong or super fast Gotta beat the